The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Invite your attention this morning to uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Uh, we have started a new study here in the last week or so uh, through the book of Mark. Uh, if you're visiting with us and you forgot your Bible or if you don't have a Bible, please know you're welcome to use the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 836, page 836, Mark chapter 1. Uh, and this may be old hat for some of you, but for some it may be new, and that's okay. The big numbers uh, are the chapter numbers for chapter 1, the big number, and then the small numbers are the verse numbers, verses 9 through 13. Uh, let me just take a pastoral privilege here to just encourage you, if you are available this Saturday, to come to the Foundations Conference. You say, Darren, this is for pastors and things. No, this is for lay people. It's for pastors. Uh, you will be blessed by Dr. Johnston, who's preached here before, and Jared Wilson. Uh, many of you know him from the seminary. Uh, just very straightforwardly, how do you live out this gospel day-to-day in your life, uh, the gospel effect this Saturday. There will be a worship band here, the Ben Bricker Band. Uh, we get blessed by the Gilbert and Beery uh, led team each week. Uh, Ben's an outside friend of ours, and so he'll be here this Saturday as well from 9 until 2 with a free lunch. Thank you, Darlene. Thank you, hospitality team. We will be warm and cheery that day, uh, weather permitting as well. Well, we are in a book of Mark, and we're starting a new series this year. Last year, uh, many of you were gone traveling the last couple weeks. We finished up our Back to the Basics, which was our theme for the 2016 uh, calendar year. This year, our theme is Growing Together, and we'll be looking through the book of Mark all the way up through Easter, and then uh, the book of Ruth in May, 1 Corinthians through most of the summer into Labor Day, then Proverbs and back to Matthew with the theme of Growing Together. Our church has seen such an exponential growth of members and people coming to Christ and baptisms. How do we do this thing called the Christian life together? And so we're studying through the book of Mark to kind of frame that very thing, and that's where we're headed this morning. But before we get there, do I have any Oscar fans in here? Any Academy Award watching people? Any people who love those award shows? Anything like that? Well, good. Nobody. Well, then this illustration may get uh, one person. Congratulations. Get the Academy Award for being the only one. So it works. But you know, it is that time of year as I was preparing for this message, thinking about how do you open up this, this chapter of Mark where Jesus makes his debut? Well, for many coming up in about a month and a half, the Oscars are their debut. Uh, many of you will set, well, one of you will set... Uh, we need to get some, we need to have a watch party here, apparently. Uh, but many of you, one of us, will sit in front of the TV and watch for hours and hours. You know, they'll talk about the gowns and all these things and the best picture. And I, I can't tell you the last time Natalie and I went to see a movie with three kids. We just doesn't happen. But, you know, you watch all these things, best costume, the best music in a drama that has action figures or something like that. I mean, they get kind of ridiculous after a while. Well, you know, some people make their big stage debut to stardom after they start the Oscars. But there are other movies that never make it to the Academy Awards whose debuts are not so grand or great. One of these movies, which has also been labeled the worst movie ever, was called Troll 2. Has anyone ever heard of this movie before? Well, you're missing out, apparently. So 
It was released in relative obscurity back in 1990. And it has been known, and I'm quoting here, as the worst movie of all time. It's a popular candidate for the worst film ever made. And according to the New York Times, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen and will ever see ever, ever, ever. If that doesn't drive home the point. And this is so bad that Rotten Tomatoes, if you know your website uh, online people, they say it only has a 3% favorable rating. And it actually had its most comeback with this. 20 years after the film, they'd made a documentary called Troll 2, the best worst movie ever. So now you really want to see this movie, I know. But, you know, the, the, it goes on to say that even after this documentary film came up, all the people went back to review the film, all these critics, 20, 30 years later, back in 2009, and they said, no, it's still the worst movie ever, 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 ever. Why do I bring this up? Well, sometimes debuts don't come as they should. We expect a different start. We expect a different way. We expect a different way of things. Some debuts are not what they should be. And when our Savior, Jesus Christ, came on, as we're going to study today in his baptism and his temptation, many people thought he was like Troll 2 in a lot of ways. What? You're doing it this way? Why didn't you do it this way? I mean, if you had just done this, that, and the other, you would have been a lot more popular, Jesus. You're going out with a guy named John who eats wild locusts and honey and dresses in camel skins? Really? But Jesus, why didn't you do it differently? Well, friends, I'm reminded this morning, as we ought to be always, that Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your thoughts and, and your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isn't it true that sometimes how Jesus comes into our life, how you become a Christian surprises you? Many of you came to faith in ways you did not expect. Many people you know came to faith in ways they did not expect. And God's plans often seem mysterious to us. And sometimes they seem, let's be frank, sometimes they seem downright strange, don't they? Like that movie, Troll 2, you've never seen, but now we'll watch. He does things the way we would not do it. I mean, think about this. The debut of Jesus, the public stage, is a perfect example. It's not in a thriving metropolis, but in the rugged wasteland of the Judean wilderness near a place called the Dead Sea. Quite a place to have an opening. It doesn't start with a press conference, but a baptism. It starts with not a parade, but 40 days of solitude and fasting as he's tempted in the wilderness. So why is it so important that we get Jesus' debut right, his baptism, his temptation? How does this help us grow together as a church? Well, the big idea today, and if you're visiting with us, the big idea is our summary statement, if you will, the thesis of the sermon is this, is that if we believe that Jesus' debut is important, then we also believe that all God's ways are right, even when he seems to limit us in how he does things. Many of you have started off the Christian life, and you say, well, I was promised joy and peace and all these things, and they haven't come true yet. Friends, sometimes, as we will see today, even in Jesus' own example, that God's ways are right and good, even though he doesn't do it the way we think he possibly should do it. God's ways are good, they are acceptable, and they are perfect. So we're going to look at two things this morning. Welcome to a Baptist church with a two-point sermon, a lot of subpoints. Amen? God is still good. But we will look at how Jesus' debut affirms in his baptism that he is deity, he is God himself, and that his temptation announced that there is a real battle before us. Friends, sometimes as we read through the stories of Jesus, we think, well, that was Jesus. He was perfect. He was the Son of God, and that's true. But the Bible also says we are to follow him. We are to take up our cross and follow him. So as we look at his debut, I pray, and I know it's better than Troll 2's debut for sure, 
but more so, how in your life will this impact you? Will you join me in standing, if you're able this morning, as we come before the Lord? We stand in honor of God's word if you're able, because we believe that this is the word of God, the very precious truth that God has given to us by the Holy Spirit, through human offers, without error, to us today. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, reading out of the ESV, the Pew Bible version. In these days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And verse 11, and a voice came from heaven saying, This are you are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit immediately drove out Jesus into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Much like we studied in December, if you were here for that, Jesus' debut was not what you would expect. But in his baptism, in his temptation, we see many, many things that are applicable to us as Christians and as a church. We bow our heads with me as we pray this morning. Father, we know that uh, your ways are higher than our ways. And Father, that often can be used as a cliche way to dismiss things or, or put things off to the side that we really need to face. But Lord, we also acknowledge that you are the sovereign providential, ever-planning God that is not surprised, not taken aback, doesn't make choices on the fly. But Father, your will, your eternal counsel is forever. Father, and we're grateful for that because we are not forever, and we trust you, the one that is. So Father, as we study your, your son's baptism today in brief, we study the temptation in brief, as Mark would present it. Father, be glorified, be lifted high. And Lord, if there be any among us that need Christ, I pray your spirit, the same spirit that drove Jesus to the wilderness, would drive them to the foot of the cross. Father, we thank you for this and more in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, last week we started off our study of Mark with a very clear indication. And many of you have studied Mark before, but Mark is very famous for going fast. Many of you who know me know I talk like an auctioneer. Uh, that comes from preaching in the Westport streets for years and doing street preaching. But all these things come back to the fact that we are seeing just a snippet of what the other gospels describe here in the baptism of Jesus. And what I want to look at first off is how the baptism of Jesus affirms Jesus's deity or that he is God himself. Jesus comes to John and he does so in the middle or latter days of John's ministry. And he comes to be baptized. And this is recorded in every gospel. It's in Matthew 3, Luke 3, and John 1. So this is something that every one of them talks about. And this is the sixth time we see the word baptism here in verses uh, 9 through 13. It was used uh, those many times in verses 4 to 9. But the question is, if Jesus is the Son of God, why is it necessary that he was baptized? If we were to go over to Matthew 3, John the Baptist was against it. He was to the point where he had a pretty good argument against it. But Jesus tells him in Matthew 3 as well that to be baptized was to fulfill all righteousness. There's the answer, and that sounds really good, Pastor, but really, what does that mean in 21st century America? Well, I believe that we're going to look at seven things that he hashes out here. There's two points and seven subpoints, but they'll be brief, I promise. Uh, there's no Chiefs games today, so you don't have to worry about rushing home, okay? You'll be fine. That's 12.05 next Sunday. But these revolve around the idea that the baptism of Jesus was the beginning of his, of his submitting to the Father in a way that only he could as the perfect Son of God. Friends, this seems so far away from us, but what I want you to see today is that in Christ, we are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy that will put anyone out of business trying to make predictions. Jesus is going to do things that Matt read in Psalm 2 and other things that we will study today. Friends, 
This baptism was not obscure. It meant a lot. So the first thing it affirms about Jesus and his being God is this, is that it started his public ministry. Look back at verse 9. It says there, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Galilee. Well, first off, Nazareth is a backwater town. You ever been through a backwater town before? You know what I'm talking about. It's no, it's 10 clicks off the map and no one goes back there. No one cared about Nazareth. And in fact, no one cared about Galilee. Galilee was a place where the Gentiles were, were running rampant. And if you were a Jew back then, you didn't care about the Gentiles. Nazareth was even worse. It was unknown and unmentioned. Quite a way to make a debut, wasn't it? He was a nobody from nowhere who had a nobody birth that we studied last month. But Jesus comes to John, and his public ministry begins. John was pro- or Jesus was probably in his early 30s, as was John. He d- did so for about three, three and a half years. And the time had come for the servant king to ascend to his rightful reign on the public stage. And friends, the first question I have for you is simply this. As we apply this, so I was thinking about how do you take this point? What does this mean for us? Is your ministry in this church more about you or more about Jesus? And I put that up there because, as Amy will throw that up on the screen, because you will see this. Is your ministry about Jesus or about you? Jesus came from an obscure place, obscure city, obscure district, and it meant nothing to no one, but yet God used him as the son of God in ways that we can only thank him for for eternity. Has God called you to certain places in your ministry with him that is obscure, that is not out there? Jesus began his ministry right where the people had been most invaded and most harmed, and he hadn't forgotten them. And when Jesus was baptized, it is another reminder to us that Tower View, our church may never make the limelight of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Our church may never make the limelight of anything that is the anything in ministry today, but if we are found faithful, we are doing exactly what God has called us to do. And Christian, the same is said of you. You may never have five minutes of fame. You may never make a Facebook Live post that goes viral. You may never have a 140-character tweet that is retweeted thousands and thousands and thousands of times, but are you found faithful with what God has called you to do? And Jesus' ministry was ushered in publicly as a declaration of that very thing. So his baptism is affirming his public ministry as God in the flesh, but secondly, it also links him to sinful humans. It also links into sinful humans. Remember last week, if you look back in the upper verses, uh, in verse 4, it said, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Say, well, pastor, how does this work? If Jesus is perfect, if he is fully God and fully man, then why is he seeking a baptism of repentance? And what sins is he confessing? Well, he's not confessing any sins. Friends, and be grateful for that. Your Savior has never had a blemish or a spot. Your Savior is the perfect one that you can go to anytime, anyplace, anywhere, because he's the only perfect one that's ever lived. Jesus is not repenting or confessing, but what he is doing is identifying himself with us as human beings. And oh, aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful this morning, church, that Jesus knows our trouble because he stepped into it? That's the second application point. He knows our trouble because he stepped right into it. Hebrews tells us that he's aligned himself with those he came to save. He's not distant. He's faithfully involved in your life. God is not just uh, present when trouble is there. He's present everywhere at every time. He's omnipresent. And friends, our Savior is fully God. But Hebrews tells us that we can come to the throne boldly because he can sympathize with us as sinners such as we are. I'm grateful for that. 
Because as a young pastor still stepping out into the foothold of ministry, I can tell you I stepped in more trouble probably than I have done right things right. And that's the truth. And Christ has been with me all the way. Even in a young marriage, I can tell you that I've stepped into more trouble than I can get. I've gotten in more trouble as a husband probably than most husbands in here. But praise God, Jesus has stepped right there with me. I don't know what trouble you're facing today, but I can tell you that our Savior, as he was baptized, proclaiming his deity, his Godness, his being fully God, that he identified with us as such. And like Moses, he did not set himself apart from the people. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Third thing I want you to see about this is that this baptism of Jesus also associated him with John's ministry, associated him with John's ministry. If you remember last week, we we mentioned this in brief, but Jesus did not hesitate to connect himself with this crazy man, John. We said last week, John was like uh, that guy uh, that I just read about yesterday in Colorado who spent 40 years in a ghost mining town, and now he just stepped out for the first time, and his beard is, you can read about it on National Geographic, his beard's all the way down to here. You know, what would you think if that guy started saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand? You would think he's a little weird, wouldn't you? You would. And so for Jesus to show up and identify himself with this man dressed in camel skins, eating honey and locusts, and I, did, I challenge you to try that this past week. I didn't do it. Did anyone else try that treat this week? No. You think it's weird too. For Jesus to do that, friends, and to say, John is the real deal, really puts John in the spotlight. But isn't it interesting, that, and you'll see this quote up on the screen, that John said in John chapter 3 that he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Friends, we don't get to share the stage with Jesus at all. Jesus is the eternal king. He is the one who came. He is the one who owns all things. And before all can be, we must be nothing before him. Is your life such that you could say, Lord, I don't care what the world gives me in accolades. I don't care what the world gives me in awards and praise. Father, I want my life just to matter to you and you alone. And if you happen, Lord, to use those awards, to use those accolades, to use those things, then do it for the furtherance of your kingdom. When you have a big decision to pray about something, how do you pray about those things? How do you pray for those things? You pray one way, Lord, If it's your will, if it's pleasing to you, if it's part of your plan, if it's your will to prosper me in this, Lord, then so be it. But Father, if it is your will to crush me, Joel Osteen doesn't preach that. If if it's your will for me to be crushed, Lord, for your glory, so that others may come to Christ, then so be it, Lord, because that's what I want. John told us last week here in the earlier parts of the verses, he said, I am not even able to untie his sandal. I'm not worthy. Friends, have you become so close to Jesus that you have forgotten how worthy he is and how unworthy you are, but how worthy, righteously, he has made you by faith alone in his son alone? What an awesome God we have. John identifies and associates with Jesus' ministry, not because John picked Jesus, but because Jesus picked John. You love, friend, because Christ first loved you, and what an amazing thing that is. Fourthly, the baptism of Jesus says that the Father's say-so matters. The Father's say-so matters. Look back at verse 10, if you will. Very famous passage, very famous verse. But Jesus here is being told in his debut that when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That word immediately we've mentioned is used time and time again. John is like running a sprint through a marathon. 
Uh, it's hard. If you've ever tried to sprint more than 100 meters at full speed, if that's possible for most of us these days, it's tough, isn't it? That's what you feel like with John. Immediately, 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 immediately. But what is said here is that the Father affirms Jesus' ministry. The Father says, now the heavens have been torn open. They've been showed for what they are, that this Son that I have sent is the real deal. The Son that I have sent is the real thing. The Messiah has come. And friends, that is the most important lesson that we have. The ultimate and most important mission is the Father sending the Son. It is not our happiness, although God gives us happiness and joy in Christ. It is not a better family, although God tells us how to raise our families. Friends, the greatest mission that came forth of Jesus Christ is that we were sinners in need of rescue. Are you grateful for that? The greatest thing that we have is that God in his cataclysmic power would come down in the person and do the work that only he could do on our behalf. If you're not a Christian here today, we are so grateful that you are here. But know that if you came to church, the greatest need that you have is not another feel-good sermon. And there's nothing wrong with those in the sense of it points you back to Christ. But the greatest need you have, friend, is to be saved from the wrath to come. Saved from the wrath to come. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a promise that is. No other religion can claim that. And when Jesus was told by the Father, this is my beloved Son, that's an affirmation of all the ministry. But you know what? The fifth thing it says, that this says about Jesus' baptism is this. It shows that we have a multifaceted God. It uncovered the three-in-one God, the Trinity God. The doctrine of the Trinity is beyond a logic or reason. It's just above it, in fact. The Son here is baptized in verse 9. The Father speaks in verse 11. And there's a real sentiment that baptism is much about what Jesus does and what the Father does to him. And then the Spirit descends into him. Friends, we believe there is one God in three persons. Not three gods, as our Mormon friends would say. Not three entities, but one God in three persons. Why is that important to you? It's important because this world will say everything against it. People have shed their blood for this doctrine that we say right here. And in heaven, the glory of heaven is not the streets of gold or the pearly gates, but it is the infinite greatness of the triune God, as Amy will throw up there. Friends, when you get to heaven, it is not going to be anything about except worshiping this awesome God that has manifested himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The beginning of Mark gives us a brief glimpse into God's nature. They are all fully God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But the Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And the Father is not the Spirit. If that does not just blow your mind, I don't know what else does. And friends, as we said last year, we need to be careful. There's a lot of analogies out there that make sense about this. A lot of people say, well, uh, in the Trinity, like uh, the elements, you know, there's gas, there's water, and there's uh, something else, or uh, solid liquid and gas, and all these things come together. Be very careful how you define the Trinity. It will make or break your soul. But here we see he came down as a dove, and we did those very things. And friends, we said it twice in a row, but be okay with the mysteries that are the Christian faith. History Channel will parse it. They will pay people with big hair and big nice ties to say big things about it, but sometimes you need to rest in the sufficiency of God's word to say, Lord, I don't understand the Trinity. It blows my mind, Matt, to use your analogy, brother, all the time, and I'm okay with that. 
Because our God is bigger than the History Channel, is bigger than Discovery Channel, and even bigger friends than TLC. Believe that or not. That is our God. But I want you to see two more quick points here that in this baptism, it showed Jesus' total reliance on the Holy Spirit. Total reliance on the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit was identified in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 11. And Mark says the Spirit descended like a dove. It wasn't a literal dove. You've probably seen those paintings before, haven't you, where you see at the baptism of Jesus a literal dove coming down. But in gentleness and purity and meekness, the Spirit came into him, literally is what the Greek says. He was filled and equipped for his ministry. But friends, I want you to know there is no adoption going on here in the Christian faith. Some believe that Christ did not become the Son of God until this moment right here. Friends, I am here to tell you that the Son of God was the same Son of God before Genesis 1-1 is the same Son of God here that it is when he resurrected and will be forever. Jesus did not become God at his baptism. He was God, and this was a sealing of it. He was declared and empowered to be the Son of God as he was. Aren't you grateful Jesus doesn't need a crutch from us to help him out? He doesn't. He's sufficient and he's powerful. Friends, and it made me think... I had to think as I was preparing this message, do I rely more on the Holy Spirit or my own giftedness? Do you rely on the Spirit or the giftedness? And that is what you will see up there, the question for you. Is your ministry empowered by technique, by, by strategy, by, by application of certain books that were read and popular at one time, or is it led by the Spirit? Please hear me clearly. Not every book that graces the Christian bookstore is bad, but is the power that drives the ministry of Tower View. Fathers, is the husbands, is the power that drives your children, the power of the Spirit. Wives, is the power that as you watch over your kids, grown or at home, the power of the Spirit, or is it simply human effort? And yes, there is a divine mystery. We have to work for our sanctification, but the Spirit molds us in to be like Christ. But have you prayed this week, Lord, by your Spirit, empower me to do this ministry. Look, let's be quite honest. Anyone can get up here and blab for 35 and 40 minutes. It's not as hard as you think. You guys do this all the time. You just got to do it in front of people, right? But think about this. If there is no power behind the message that is said, if I am up here just persuading you with words, friends, then we have missed the point of everything that is going on. Church, we need to pray this year that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that drives our church forward, not our techniques or whatever else may come. Are we going to plan? Yes. Are we going to strategize? Yes. But it is the Spirit of God who changes hearts as we see here in the ministry of Jesus. The last point of this is how does this tell us about who Jesus is as being God? It's simply this. It previewed him as the Messiah. Previewed him as the Messiah. Look at verse 11. This is probably one of the most important verses in the Bible, let alone the New Testament. And it says this, Again, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, or with you I am well pleased. It is echoed again at the transfiguration in Mark 9. We'll get there a little later this year. It's a combination of three Old Testament texts. Psalm 2, you are my son. Psalm, or Genesis 22, the beloved one, the one I love, referring to Abraham and his son Isaac. And Isaiah 42, in you I am well pleased pleased. This is the declaration by the Father of his love for the Son cannot be overstated. Friends, no other person had ever been affirmed in this way. No other person. 
And this is why Jesus is central. If you miss Jesus, friend, you miss Christianity 101. If you get Jesus wrong, you mess everything else up. If you miss who Jesus is, then you will not know the biblical God. Friends, there is no doubt that Jesus is God himself. We will see in coming weeks that he casts out demons. He forgives sins. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He raises the dead. He himself, as we'll celebrate in Easter, rises from the dead. He is the Messiah. And that's why, as Amy puts this up, Jesus is the Son of God. And he has the power and authority to accomplish all that he has planned in his wisdom and grace for you. Do not think for one moment, friend, that God is not using your life if you are faithful to him. It may not be what you looked like. I can't tell you 10 years ago that I would have thought we would have had three kids in four years. I, you know, as crazy as that is, all in diapers, all running around, and you all ask, How, how's it going at home? And John was over to her house on Friday, said, are you tired? And I just looked at him and said, yep, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, we're tired. It's not how I would have imagined it, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. God in his grace can come in in Christ and save us from our sins, he can hold you together in whatever he's called you to do as well. You know, China, as you'll see up on the screen, China is starting a new thing these days. They always seem to be starting new things. But the Chinese government has given a new meaning to the old familiar naughty and nice idea. They have started, as of this past September, documenting every move that you have on social media. And they are monitoring your citizen behavior with technology to see what you get as a social credit score. The best citizens of China get a 1,000 credits to their name. You know, in a credit score in the U.S., we monitor financial things. But in China, this will be evaluated how you interact with others. So those people who put frowny faces on Facebook, the Chinese Facebook, your credit score is going down, just so you know. Those people who get mad at this, that, or the other, your score is going down. And their goal, the Chinese government says, is to create a behavior that is harmonious, socialist society where everybody is happy and everyone has a thousand point score. Well, I don't know if they've ever met a teenager with Facebook before, but that's probably not going to be the best thing that's happened all the way. Friends, we know this to be very, very true. The social score, the social credit score of Jesus in America is at an all time low, biblically speaking. Because Jesus, as he is veiled in Scripture, as we have just read in these short verses, is not the Jesus that most people want in their life. They want a Jesus that's happy, smiley. You know that Jesus, the thumbs-up Jesus. You know the Jesus with the big heart, and he's hugging on people. And yes, Jesus has a big heart. He took all of us in, rebels as we are. Yes, Jesus smiles at us. When one sinner repents, all the angels rejoice. But friends, do not forget that this Jesus is not just a doting grandfather that came down to give everyone big hugs. He came down to lay out his arms to receive the wrath of God on our behalf and how grateful we should be for that this morning. This three-in-one God is enough for us. He may not meet the social credit score of, of uh, socialist China, but friends, I can tell you that in his father's eyes, Christ has fulfilled the ministry that he was called to do. That's our first point. I promise the second will be faster. Second one is this. Jesus' debut, his baptism affirmed that he was God himself. And secondly, the war gets real. It gets really real at this point. The temptation of Jesus was a declaration of war. It was announced as a battle, if you will. The commissioning by God is followed by a time of testing. And this is true for all of us. As soon as God calls us to do something, it was true for Jesus. It's going to be true for us as well. 
Will Jesus, the question is, continue to trust and obey his father, or will he now just go off on his own way and do his own thing? And the temptation here is described in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in greater detail, but Mark kind of gives us the, uh, uh, the Cliff Notes version. Do they still make Cliff Notes out there? Does anyone use those anymore? Those got me through so many college classes, by the way. Praise the Lord. But you know what? Mark here gives us a Cliff Notes version. And the battle begins all the way to a Roman cross. And the first thing I want you to see is what happens in verse 12. Note this wording very specifically, friends. It says, who drove Jesus out immediately? Verse 12, spirit. Wait, wasn't this the same spirit that just descended upon him, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself? Why did he drive him out immediately into the wilderness? Because as a man, Jesus had to be submissive to the Spirit of God. As a man, Jesus had to immediately go out and be tested for everything that he needed to be tested for. Isn't it interesting that that word drove literally means to be cast out. After the greatest declaration of who he was, Jesus himself was now being sent out to test and be tested in the wilderness. Mark will use that word uh, driven or drove out 11 times to describe Jesus casting out demons. And now, in a sense, the Spirit and God's sovereign plan within the Trinity has put the man, and the God-man Jesus, into the wilderness. Friends, and I think there's a temptation here to really think that this temptation really did not happen. There's a theological group out there that believes that this was just all smoke and mirrors, that everything that happened here was not really real, that this was just a sideshow that Jesus put on to kind of give us an example to live out our lives. There is an example to follow here for sure, but friends, don't be fooled. This really happened. This was a real temptation. This was not anything other than what it was. And isn't it, it's not unexpected, and I appreciate our, some people who have spoken to our recent baptism candidates and people who have been baptized to tell them, look, you're at your high point of your early Christian life. You've been baptized. Be very, very careful because testing is coming. And I bet if I asked any of you if you've been through a trial or temptation, if that was real, you would look at it and say, are you kidding me? Of course it was real. Yes, it was real. Friends, what happened to Jesus was as real as what was happening to everything else. The same spirit who drove him out was the same spirit who gave him strength through that trial. The spirit that ascended is the same spirit that drove him into the wilderness. You know, sometimes when those trying times come, I think a lot of us get to the point where we want to try and write our own things. And friends, the first application point I have for you is this. We want to write our own autobiography, but we're called to submit to the biography that God is writing about our lives. You know, some bad theology out there, some bad teaching has said, well, couldn't Jesus just have gone off and done his own thing and stayed out of the wilderness and gone and done his own thing? Friends, no, he could not have. Jesus is the perfect son of God. If he's anything less, if he could resist his father, then he is not truly living up to all the prophecy, all the eternalness that he is. Friends, we have that choice as humans. We have that choice to truly walk away from all that God is writing for your life. Many of you right now are going through difficulty to an extent that the Spirit of God is driving you out to a place of testing that is very difficult for you. It is not the same testing in a sense that Jesus experienced, I can tell you that, but it is a testing that God and His sovereignty is allowed to happen to you. Remember Job chapter 1, verses 
1 and 2, and it talks about Job was a righteous man. And then in chapter 2, Satan comes to to God and says, Job, I, I want this man Job. And what does God do? He says, have at him. Here he is. Many of you may be going through the ringer right now in your family, in your marriage, in your kids. And that may be where God has you. The question is, where is your trust? As a man in his humanity, God, the God-man Jesus, trusted in the Spirit's power through his Father to do the work that only he could do. Our king goes in to fight a dirty, filthy trenches like us, and he turns back the enemy. He turns him back and provides hope and a pattern for us. Friends, if you are in an addiction today, there is power for you to get over that addiction in the name of Jesus because the same spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness is the same spirit you have if you are a Christian here today. There's no addiction. There's no problem. There's no sin that is so besetting that in Christ's name, through the Spirit's power, that you cannot overcome. Amen? That is our God. But here he is. The battle is real. And then look at verse 13. We'll end with this. He was engaged by Satan. Look at verse 13. And it says, And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days in the deep Wilderness. I, I've told you before, I would love to be Bear Grylls, that survivalist guy that like, can jump out of a plane and live off grub worms for a week. I'd love to be that guy, but I can't. Um, if I don't get a week of pizza, my life is over or something like that. But Jesus is out here for 40 days and 40 days long, and it's recalling Israel's 40 days or 40 years in the wilderness. It's recalling Moses' 40 days at Mount Sinai. It's recalling Elijah's 40 days at Mount Horeb in 1 Kings 19. But he is a better Moses, this Jesus. He is a far superior Joshua, this Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John 8, 44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is a murderer. Friends, and let me be very clear here, Satan is alive and real. He is not, as some has posited, just a big symbol for evil. He's not Dante Inferno's 14th century uh, classic drama with little pitchforks pitching people in seven levels of hell or whatever it was. He is real, Satan is, and he will be real until Christ comes back, but he will be put in his place as he even is now. Friends, you have no greater power in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the power of the Spirit, friend, to overcome Satan, all that he does. But he meets our king in all places of the desert. Not, note it's the wilderness, not a garden. Notice it's a wilderness for 40 days of fasting, Matthew 4 tells us, and it's a wilderness alone with no companions. And there's wild animals. That would scare me alone enough right there. The wild beasts are only mentioned here in Mark, and they follow the mention of Satan. It suggests they are in partnership and alliance with Satan, and they heighten the horror and the danger of our Lord's 40 days in the wilderness. The Lord does battle with Satan on his home field. It's a divine invasion of enemy territory, if you want to use that phraseology. But friends, I am grateful, and Amy will put this up, that Jesus beat temptation so that when we beat are beat by temptation, we are judged by his record and by his result, not ours. Many of you have fallen to temptation this week. Your pastor has fallen to temptation this week and worrying about things that should not have been worried about. But our son 
our, our, our Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has overcome all of that. And it is real. And friends, his debut was quite a debut, wasn't it? He came in, he cleaned house with the baptism, and then he shows us once and for all. Christ knows what you are going through. His angels came to his aid, and they will come and sustain us too. How many of you remember Touched by an Angel? I wasn't going to mention this, but it's in the notes as a side. Touched by an Angel, great show, terrible theology. Let's just say it as it is. All right, and that, you're nodding your heads. You get what I'm saying. Touched by an Angel, if those of you who weren't alive back then, um, 20 years ago, is it that long ago? I don't know. Touched by an Angel was a, about, um, oh, by God, I don't even remember. Angels showed up at random places and did kind and good things, and they came in human form. There's a whole study of angels that can go on here, friends. We do not believe in touched by an angel theology. Hebrews 1.14 says, aren't angels sent to, as ministering spirits to those who inherit salvation? Yes. There's a sense in which angels aid us along the way, but it's not touched by an angel Hollywood, okay? Hope that makes sense. But look, they will come and sustain us too by God's sovereign decree. How all that works out, I will let other theologians and, and people who are much better than myself hash that out. But God will minister to you if you're faithful to follow him. Even when you don't, he's faithful to you. When you are faithless, he is faithful. What was Satan's goal? It was to defeat, defeat the Son of God. How? By trying to steal away from the things that had happened. After all, if God's will for us is health, wealth, and prosperity, who would determine that it would get it more than Jesus? But Jesus here at his very point of his temptation shows us that suffering is the road of those who follow him. Satan was at his baptism. He saw and he heard it all. And yet, here was the Son of God standing through the Spirit's power against all temptation. Friend, you have the ability today to stand against the sin in your life. Stand with it, stand with it, stand with it. I'm going to close with this. Uh, actually, Amy, we'll skip that last illustration if we will. Friend, I'm just going to invite you today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you say, Darren, that's a great history lesson. That's a great thing. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I plead with you as a pastor? Can I plead with you to come to know this Jesus? You cannot be good enough. You can't walk a line enough. You can't even get baptized enough. That is Kansas City, Missouri, river water. And we're grateful last week it wasn't pink like it was the week before. We're grateful for that. Nothing can save you. You are not saved by good works. You are not saved by your sincerity. You are not saved by faith and faith. You are saved by what Jesus did, as we will see as we walk through this birth and, and the baptism and all. He died on that cross after living the perfect life. You have sinned to such a degree, friend, that you can never cross the bridge back over to God. There's nothing good in you. No, not even one person good. Not even the Mother Teresa's, not even the, um, you throw out the name of a good person. They're not good enough to measure up to God's standards. But praise God that there are no good people in this world, but there was one volunteer. There was one sovereign volunteer, Jesus Christ, who rescued us in a way that we could not. And he died on the cross, and on that cross, all the wrath, all the judgment of God that should be on us, he bore for our sins and was crushed, it says in Isaiah, that we may have faith to believe that he is the son of God. It didn't stop there. He was buried and that is prophecy fulfilled and he was resurrected three days later, not as a big symbol, but as an actual event that happened. So he once and for all, death is defeated. There is no other way. And he ascended to heaven. He's mediating for us now and will come back again. What an awesome God we serve. If you don't know that, how do you become a Christian? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Save from what? Save from bad financial decisions. Save from 
a bad marriage, safe from, uh, uh, you know, the Chiefs bowing out, hopefully not in the playoffs this year. I mean, it's silly what pastors will throw out what you're saying. Friend, you are saved from God himself because God himself will visit the iniquities of everyone. But God himself also came and gave his life for you. No other God has done that. If you're here today and you don't know that message, we'll be up here in just a few minutes to receive that. Matt on that side, me on this side. If you're a Christian here today, be in awe of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. What detail he fulfilled in four verses we have today. We join me in prayer as we close out. Father, lots of subpoints today, lots of things to consider, lots of things to do. But Father, I pray that as your debut came on this earth, as your ministry, Father, was kicked off through your son, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as, as many people here may need to know that message, that their debut with you, Lord, is your sovereign timing, that they would come to know Christ. Father, I am grateful, though, that you are not bound by the criticisms or the places of people, that, Father, your ways are not our ways, and sometimes it may seem limiting to us, but, Father, thank you that your plan is sovereign and eternal. Thank you that nothing happens in our lives that doesn't pass through your hand, just as your son being baptized as he was at the height of that and also doing the temptation immediately after that, Father, both were ordained by you. Father, we pray for many families in here, many who have uh, family members who are sick in other states. We think of Annie and Kim. We think of uh, Miss Bonnie Center, who's been uh, in and out of the hospital this last week. Father, so many things have, have hit our health here at our church. Yet, Lord, you are still Lord, and each of them would affirm and say that very much, that they trust in you. Father, no matter what we face today, I pray that as your son did, we would trust in what you have done through your will, Father. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray all these things to your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.